Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And before we start this show, I'm very excited to say we're just a few weeks away from the Afterlife Research and Education Symposium. It is a huge gathering of 33 of us speakers talking about life after death and living an empowered life and getting in touch with our loved ones in the hereafter. Uh, it'll be held in Scottsdale, Arizona. If you're interested, go to afterlifestudies.org. And if you're not interested, however, you are want to find out what is going on in the world of the afterlife, I, I invite you to go to that website anyways, because after the symposium, there's going to be video videotapes available of the speakers and also there's some pretty darn cool cutting edge information about the afterlife. And I think it's a very heart centered, non egotistical group of people that are really just want to get the information out. So I invite you to go to afterlifestudies.org. So let's get on to the show. Today we're going to be talking with Alan Morlock. And Alan is somebody who contacted me and he seems very interesting. And I think you'll agree once we get into the conversation. Alan is the author of Nothing Other and Raindrops Falling on the Ocean. He is a modern day mystic who has been a spiritual teacher for more than 30 years and has been a Trillium Awakening teacher since 2010. His presence, wisdom, compassion, and expression leave people feeling nourished on many levels. Alan has been featured on the giant show, Buddha at the Gas Pump, and you can find out more about him on his website, which is nothingother.com. Alan Morlock, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited to talk uh, to you. I don't exactly know where we're going to go, and it's going to be like a dance, I think. Right? Well, it's beautiful. I, I really want to say it's an honor to be present on the show, and uh, I'm just deeply honored and excited to hopefully provide some inspiration, uh, some knowledge, and possibly some process. That's yes. sort of how I break down the, um, shall we say, the adventure of being a spiritual teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm um, all for it, and I know you mm-hmm. found out about me through my friend Roberta Grimes' radio show, who's got a she's got a oh. great show called <laughs> Seek Reality. Yeah, yeah, and so well, uh, we like like-minded people. We do. So, Alan, tell us a little bit about you. You just told me before I pressed the record button that you're in New Jersey, USA, uh, right now. Yeah, right, I live in New Jersey now. Uh, I'm in the spare bedroom with my big dog. (laughs) (laughs) He's quite old and has some problems, and I'm his caregiver. Oh, but he's a good soul, I would imagine. (laughs) He is so much. He gives us so much love and joy. Yeah, it's it's really an honor to be to have a a dog like this. I think when I was a child, I remember the show Old Yellow. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm kind of dating myself here, which is not a problem. And uh, maybe I must have, have wanted a, an old yellow because here I am with an old yellow lab. Wow. What's his name? I call him Bo. Sometimes I call him Bozo, but <laughs> <laughs> mostly it's just Bo. Yeah. I always think dog and is God spelt backwards. So there's yeah. something very yeah. special about not just our dogs, yeah. but some of our yeah. other animals. But you are a modern-day mystic. Now, can you tell us, because I don't know what that means, first of all, well, and what what has your life been like that's led you on a spiritual path? Um, well, let's, um, 
I guess it's a good idea. I'll kind of give a broad overview of uh, my life and experience focused okay. on the more spiritual side of things. And that the book, Nothing Other, is it's a, um, I guess you call a spiritual memoir. It's autobiographical materials, which elaborates on my spiritual journey. Uh, shall we start at the beginning? Sure. Um, so my birth was in East Tennessee in a very primitive, deep woods lifestyle, um, which has its challenges and also its sweet parts. But something that seems to be kind of unique for me is I remember, I never forgot um, where I came from, so to speak. Um, now, that may sound good, and it was good, but it also has, its all, it has a lot of challenges. Because when, uh, when I was about three and a half to four years old, it was the first time I kind of guessed the age because it must have been the first time I sort of got away from the family when I'm out and walked up the hill behind the house. The house was kind of at the foot of a mountain, and I walked up probably uh, probably a couple hundred yards. And I looked back, and it triggered the memory of when I came from spirit into form and entered that that location, um, which triggered the memory of my nature before what we call conception. Really? Yeah. Now, I, yeah, if you question me about details, I don't remember details. I remember the basic mm-hmm. nature. I remember that communication was pure and perfect. There was no effort that went into communication. There was no, not the this cumbersome, strange feature we call language. Mm-hmm. And m- movement was completely without effort. And so this reality to me appeared to be very dark and very heavy it was so dense and heavy and um, so what happened in that the mind which was just beginning to form at that time was a, a revulsion to being here and an awareness that I was losing my memory so what what occurred in my mind at the time not conceptually it was a it was a formation of a potential thought that later congealed into into a more conceptual version. But I concluded that these creatures had kidnapped me from my home somehow and brought me here and were hypnotizing me to think I was one of them. That was what happened in my mind. Now, that led to all kinds of problems throughout my life because it made it difficult for me to fully engage in uh, the normal experiences of childhood and teenage years and even when I got married and had children I was still kind of like I didn't like I had three children now I have seven grandchildren but I never could get the feeling like these are my children it was more of a feeling like these are people who were accompanying me on the journey so it took a lot of process and a lot of maturity to bring that awareness to the the stage of development that's um, let's say that's with me now so then at some point I got involved in the church. We lived in a very Christian area, kind of the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't too long before I sort of matured out of that and began more of a, more of a conscious spiritual quest. 
1972, I learned about, uh, heard about meditation and uh, decided to start meditation and pretty quickly saw that wasn't working out on my own. And I went to a um, course on transcendental meditation. I had a very profound experience the first time. Went on to become a teacher, TM, taught that for about 12 years or so up until the mid-80s and began to realize there was something more that wanted to come forward. And I did have many profound experiences during that time of practicing and teaching TM. Went on several long courses where we would sit for, we practice as much as 10 or 12 hours a day up to six months. Wow. Um, yeah, and I loved it. I never, it was never a struggle for me. It was never a problem. I took the meditation, you could say the way a duck does, to water. Wow. Can we just stop just a little bit? Sure. Um, just because sure. I have some questions. First of all, I hear from so many people when they have children, um, they appear like what you describe yourself as a little boy, uh, that they have memories of being somewhere else and, and all that. So I, I love talking to you as a adult man who can actually look back and, and remember that you had those memories uh-huh. of a child that didn't quite belong uh-huh. and you were taken from your home and now you're planted here with all these other people, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the interesting part for me was that, that you'd have to underst- try to understand what that moment was like for me in a three-year-old body. It was, it was a, a, a kind of horrible experience where I suddenly found myself in a world that felt so far into me and couldn't figure out what happened, how did I get here, what was going on. Um, it, was a, it was emotionally a, a big, big shock, very traumatic. And I vowed that no matter what happened, I would never forget and I took a second vow that no matter what it took, I would find my way back. Now, at the time, of course, I thought meant getting out of this world, going to another world, another mm-hmm. planet. I didn't know what it meant. Right. But it entrained my awareness and my the way I approach life that I was kind of almost unknowingly always on the lookout for clues to come to um, an understanding not an understanding so much conceptually, but a deeper understanding of of the fundamental questions of life. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What's going on here? All the important W's. Yeah, and, and you were so young when it happened, and so often, you know, those things that happen in our childhood are what mold us to who we yeah. are today. And can yeah, you yeah. tell us a little bit what transcendental meditation is i've heard people talk about it forever but not yeah. really what it is because well I- it's, a, it's a meditation practice that uses a mantra mantra is a uh, the, the mantras are they're called beej or seed it's the seed language of the divine the, the fundamental language of, of the divine presence now the mantras and tm are are the based on the feminine principle, the feminine principle of divinity. Uh, you could say divinity as a masculine principle and a feminine principle. And the way I would describe feminine principle is the manifestation, the energetic portion of reality. And the masculine principle I would describe as the the, the foundation of, of life that we call awareness. So the, it's a practice that involves the mantra and um, through the practice, you're able to enter a, um, a transcendent state or a 
state of awareness in which there's no no thought, sometimes not even an awareness of the your body or the outside world. Wow. I've, I've heard people's experiences that I, I've not been there to know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But obviously to practice it for so many hours, for so long, uh, right. there's something you've achieved or let go of, <laughs> however you want to look yeah. at it. Yeah, but I, the, the PM practice itself sort of faded away okay. the, by the by the mid-80s. And other practices came over the years. Um, and many kind of experiences came in the mid-80s. Um, I entered a phase of, of kind of um, in touch with psychic phenomenon. I had conversations with with my uncle who had passed away. I had long conversations with him. Um, and I had went through a phase where I had this kind of psychic capacity. I could look at anybody and I could know, effortlessly know, what past life was kind of bringing forward the issues they were dealing with now. Um, and that, it, but it never felt like it was what I was here for. So even though there was the capacity to become medium, the capacity to become psychic, it always felt like a little short. I'm not saying that what I came to was greater because we all play a part in the big trauma and we all need to play a, a, a different part. But what I particularly was kind of wired for and drawn to do, drawn to develop. And so um, then later in the mid-80s and the late-80s, um, the master Sai Baba started to come in my dreams. And it's more than a dream when he comes. It's a real experience. But he called me forward and sort of let me know that he would be my, my let's say, my master guide and continues to be so up until this day. Is Sai Baba someone um, who is presently on this earth or is it like an ascended master not not in physical form he still makes appearances uh here and there to for whatever reasons even he will appear at times in physical form uh there was a few years ago after baba had supposedly passed from this realm he uh, appeared physically to a man that had never seen him or heard of him in manhattan guy was an airline pilot and he was walking across the street got hit by a car and was um, nearly nearly took his life and this man comes out of nowhere and takes him and takes care of him and kind of gets him back on his feet and when he uh, when he sort of sorted out his life and got able again he he was curious who was that and it turns out it was Sai Baba when he saw a picture he said oh that's the guy that saved me now supposedly Baba had passed away already so he's appeared many times like that and he appears to different people in dream form in physical form in whatever form he uh, suits suits the need of the time Alan, back up to your uncle a little bit. Just our show is about life after death, as you know by the title. Yeah, yeah. And was there a point where you always knew that there was like life after death is a reality? Or well, when your when your uncle stepped in, was that like, oh my gosh, my uncle's here, and he, how can he be? No, no, it didn't surprise me at all. Hmm. Because look, uh, let me back up a minute and say, if you ask the question, do I believe in life after death? Death will. My answer to that question is, I don't believe there's such a thing as death. I just never took on the belief of death. Okay. To me, death death is a mythology. Um, I like but, it. But my my uncle would come, and it, for, for me, it was though we had an extended phone conversation, but I could never say when the com- conversation happened. It was though the conversation happened in another 
another dimension and I would have full memory of it. And what was shocking to me was not that we had the conversation, but the knowledge and wisdom that he had. So he had acquired the wisdom he had prior to his birth. And what he uh, basically what he told me was that he had become what we would call uh, free of the necessity of, of human birth. He had kind of graduated from human birth in a prior lifetime, and I believe he was in a Buddhist lineage. But he, because he was in a Buddhist lineage and had, um, of course, taken, lived a celibate and simple lifestyle, he wanted, even though he was had matured the human life, he wanted to touch the human experience. So he had entered this very, he lived a very, very simple life. He was a carpenter and a very kind and honest man, uh, very loving. So that was one of the things. There were many, many things that happened along the way. Um, but then when I began to go to India, starting in 1990, uh, and had, um, and by 92, 1992, I began to have some very profound and deep spiritual experiences. Okay. Um, and I'm going to talk about that too much because I don't want to make the whole conversation about me and my experience. I think the value of talking about the experiences is so that my uh, what I have to say in terms of the human experience has a bit of it's kind of like if you go to a, a school you want to learn from a teacher who has qualifications so you may look for someone with a PhD or a master's right. degree or whatever and I'm not saying I have a PhD or a master's degree in spiritual truth but I do have um, a deeper a much deeper understanding of what the human experience is about one of the things that um, should we go ahead with this, or do you want to? Yeah, I like it. Just in the in the framework of it all, in the context of it all, you know, what I'm hearing from you is there's an experience of whether it's in the meditative state or something like that. I haven't had. <laughs> there's a, a uh, level yeah. to either get to mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, like I said earlier, let go of that to not be even have that feeling that we are connected to our body or you know of consciousness or i don't even know how one would explain it so i i'm interested in finding out what the experience is like and then what it's taught you and obviously you are a teacher of this so who are we and why are we here and how can we let go of all the stuff you know if we could just solve all the problems in the next half hour of humanity (laughs) that would be all right (laughs) yeah Yeah, but i'm hearing there's there's some place that through the training you've had and the meditations you've had and uh, whatever those may be, that there's a another, there's something else available that I think most well, of us are yeah, aware well, of. What I can say without, <clears throat> what I can say without any hesitation is we are multidimensional beings. What does that mean though? Multidimensional yeah, beings. Yeah, what does it mean? So I have, I have had experiences when I say I've had experiences that language doesn't convey it very well, but just what I speak is based on experiences that are mm-hmm. beyond even the sense of I. When the sense of I completely gives way and there's something else that remains that's unspeakable. So many flavors of that unspeakable beyond 
I have touched on, and I speak based on experience of that, there's a dimension in which we are completely awake, completely aware, and from that relative to this, this is this is negligible. This meaning this what this we're reality, living now? This, okay. this, yeah, the full impact of this reality doesn't even touch that highest level of our inner reality. It's just completely untouched. You know, one of the first times that I began to open to that was in the deep state of meditation. And I was fully aware, fully conscious, but it wasn't aware of anything. And as I slowly began to come back into the human experience, I remember just kind of being curious. Did I have a form? Did I, was, I, was there any reality around me? It was just a curiosity. And then at some point realizing, yes, I'm kind of in a human body. And then there was a point where, well, what is the body like? What's happening with the body? So I became aware of the body, but then I couldn't find the, I couldn't find the information of what the body is doing or not doing. And slowly I became aware, okay, the body is sitting or lying, and it's like this and it's like that. So that I had experiences like that. And one time I remember being in meditation and coming out. And I was in a room of people, and there's, as I'm coming kind of back into the, the bodily reality, there's a sort of questioning, of which body do I belong? Which body am I supposed to be in? Here's a wow. room of people. So many experiences like that, which are not so much, you know, these experiences I think are not so much important in themselves, but but what do they convey about the meaning of life and the purpose of life and what we're kind of here to do? So I would say that we're here to live the human experience. That's the thing. Whatever Whatever purpose each person may have, I think to unravel that, it means we need to be human. We need to live the human experience, not try to get out of it as I did so much of my life. So um, let's see, where do we want to go from here? I've had you on mute for a couple of minutes. I have a, um, the town's fire alarm is going off down the road. Oh, <laughs> and okay. let's do it. It's beep, okay. beep, really loud, oh, but it just stopped, kinds, so that's good. All, all kinds of great interruptions. Yes, yes. Um, but it, Well, it just, it's fascinating to me to be, because I've heard people who've had near-death experiences, who've had similar kind of experiences that they knew that they weren't their body, they weren't connected to their okay. body, you know, they're somewhere else, and have had this experience that why they're here on Earth is to live this human experience. There's, there's value in that. Yeah, yeah. I would say that a portion of the being is not touched by the human experience, a portion, a deep, deep portion. I think it was 19, where it was, no, it was 2000, approximately 2007, during a very deep meditation, I had an experience where my, my awareness touched into what I call the soul. And it was, it was, it blew out every understanding or thought or belief I had about the soul up until that time. I came out later and for a few days did research on the soul. And uh, <laughs> what I read was pretty much nonsense. It was just somebody's belief based on the interpretation of somebody's interpretation. It didn't make any sense at all. What I can say is the soul 
your soul, my soul, is not in your body. That's a, that's a kind of absurdity for, based on the experience. Your soul is far too great, is far too profound to be in your body. So what I call the soul is permanently, it has this like permanent real estate in the Godhead. And the soul then, the energy of the soul, it, there's an energy, energy print or energy signature of the soul that condenses a bit into what I call spirit. I'm using these, I'm explaining these words because some people will use them in the opposite way. Mm-hmm. But then the spirit or the energetic signature of the soul enters the body, incarnates, and goes through the cycles of incarnation to develop the capacity to manifest. And what I would say about that in terms of purpose or if you want to go into why, which I don't particularly like the question why, but let me talk about it anyhow. You brought it up, so. The great, the gr- <laughs> there, there, is a, there is the great gift, I would say, to us as soul and spirit. The great gift to us from God is awareness. And in, in when we recognize what an incredible, phenomenal, unbelievable gift it is to, to have awareness, there comes a longing to say thank you to God. And so we come into form to develop the ability to manifest as a way of saying thank you to God, to manifest the power to, to serve in God's creation. And so in order to serve, we have to go through the lessons of developing certain capacities. I would say when we first start to incarnate in the form, the earliest skill set we're going to need to learn is survival. So we may, we may incarnate into situations which survival is all about survival. How do we find food, shelter, clothing? and How do we make it through this ordeal? How do we become human? At some point in the later stage, I would say we'll primarily be interested in developing power. So we're going to need those two fundamental skills, survival and power. And the reason we need those is so that when we connect with spirit, when we connect with soul, when we ultimately connect with Godhead, we're not just washed out so we can retain an awareness. But the awareness at that stage is no longer contingent on the perspective. Perspective is something that we have to develop along the way. Perspective means the way, the the structures, the thought structures through which we interpret the experience of reality. I would ask the question, if you experienced reality directly, what would you experience? And the answer is nobody knows. Nobody can really say because in the human form, we do not experience reality directly. What we experience is an interpretation of reality. So from probably from the earliest lifetime. Now, if you don't like the idea of past lives, just think of your earliest your earliest time in life or think of your ancestral lineage. So there, there's an ancestral lineage of how we have evolved as human beings. Yeah, I don't mind the past life idea myself. Yeah, I, I can work with it either way because we almost have to include both. When you get into really high-level spiritual insight, you can't just take one viewpoint and and be close to the truth. You have to take multiple viewpoints. 
So it's almost like you have to be equally comfortable with opposing viewpoints. Then you start to get closer to truth. When you cling to one viewpoint, then you're trapped in the in the world of polarity. But due to the fact, see, anything you look at and you say, I'm seeing this, what are you really seeing? Where are you seeing it? You're, everything you're experiencing, you're experiencing in your mind, and you're interpreting what you're experiencing. So the human part of us, the brain part, the brain that um, helps to congeal consciousness into form, the brain, in my opinion, in my understanding, does not generate consciousness, but helps to it helps to, to uh, hold the consciousness. It helps to locate it. It helps to isolate it into a human experience. So the brain itself evolved over eons. That part of how consciousness is congealed evolved over eons. And there's two really, two, some really basic needs of that. And one of those is to, uh, is to avoid uncertainty. In other words, to find safety. So the brain is, is heavily biased to generate a sense of safety. That's a really important understanding. So based on that, we generate a, a methodology, a viewpoint, or a conceptual matrix through which we constantly interpret experience. Light comes in through the eyes, vibration comes in through the ears, whatever. And that data comes in, and the brain consciousness runs a very complex and a very rapid algorithm and comes up with an interpretation of experience. Scientists actually tell us that of all the possible light forms, all the vibrational forms of energy that are available to us, we actually, let's see, through our eyes, we see a very, very small fraction of what's there. In fact, they say it's so small, it's equal to one ten trillionth of what's available. And it takes 30% of our conscious capacity in the human mind, takes 30% of our capacity to process that one ten trillionth of the available data, of the available information. You know, Alan, it's funny because as you're talking, I can feel my brain reaching, trying to figure out <laughs> what you're talking about. Well, and, and not in a bad way, but I'm trying to bounce the words like awareness and perception and ability off what my brain already knows so talk mm -hmm. about survival and talk about like trying to figure it out and it and what's happening is i'm not able to find a reference for what we're talking about and so what what i'm seeing happening like i'm witnessing happening in my own mind is when you just said you know when the light comes in oh it's like oh i've actually studied that you know that we're all made up of energy and and that our our eyes i didn't know the actual amount but it's just a really minuscule amount that our brains are taking in through our eyes based on everything that's all happening around us so i just kind of feel like as you're describing it i feel my brain trying to to kind of go through what it is you're saying, if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense because that's the other that's the other major bias of the brain is what's called confirmation bias. Okay. The brain the brain is biased heavily biased to confirm the what you already believe, know, and think to be true. So you you're you're, you're the, the information we're taking in. You're constantly being kind of driven to confirm what you already think and believe. And you can see how 
how profoundly that's organizing the collective experience today. See, in this in this domain, and this this is a vibrational reality that we call the human experience, okay. including our bodies. Yeah, I can and, get that. The, the, so the the principle in this domain is polarization. Everything that you know here and experience here is based on the polar opposite. So if you say, you say, oh, there's sunlight, you would only know sunlight if there's darkness. You okay. only know pleasure because of pain. Right. You only know success because of failure. And I believe that tells us something fundamental about why we come here. I would say that in spirit, and my, based on my memory and my experiences in spirit, we are merged into an absolute kind of oneness with everything and mm-hmm. every other spirit, a kind of a, a perfection of love and a, a, a perfection of awareness. It's so profound and so unshakable that we don't we don't have a way to recognize it. We don't have a way to know what love is. We don't have a way to know what perfection is. So we enter this world of polarities and play here until we kind of recognize that this world is made of polarities. And at that point, then that can trigger a recognition there must be something beyond polarities. And when we actually mature to that point, then we start to see the polarization of everything, which means we're able to at least intend to touch on something that's beyond polarities. And then there's a whole other level of adventure and learning and uh, exploration and manifestation. Oh, what do you mean? This is sounding pretty juicy. So I can get the polarity part, like that makes sense. And especially, you know, I'm thinking so many people are brought to this show because we've experienced tremendous grief. And then I know that we wouldn't have experienced that grief had we not experienced tremendous love. Yeah. But now to step out of that... What, um, <laughs> and I know you have 30 years of meditation, so it might not be easy to sum it up for us. But just, again, knowing that there's another level possible that we can experience. And I think like any building of any muscle, there's a, I'm assuming, a practice. Uh, unless some people just wake up with these aha moments, but you've you've given a lot of your life to studying this and experiencing. Yeah, and my my focus now for the last oh, I don't know ten ten years or so, more of my focus has been about a little sip of water. Mm-hmm. How do, how do I communicate this, and how do I serve? other people who are drawn to me and who resonate with me and my my teaching and my style. And let me let me just say something, I guess we call it a covet. It's not so much a matter of believing what I say, but that I feel like what I have have come here to do is to generate a map. And based on that map, being able to assist people with process. Because if it doesn't make a difference in your life, if it's not helpful, then what's the point? Why do just, it? Right. Yeah, why hear, you know, just hear about philosophy? So, let's see. Let me, uh, I think something, you know, time goes by so quickly. Doesn't it, though? Something I'd like to talk about, which is really fundamental to what I feel like is, if there's anything unique about my contribution, I would say... I would say it's along these lines that um, there's a 
there's an event, so to speak, that has a, um, I, I don't know if I should say the biggest influence on our life, but quite possibly the single most important influence in our life is the experience of incarnating, which seems to coincide with what we call conception. Okay. So how I interpret that now, how I, I've tracked this as, as much as I could for many, many years. I was a, a rebirthing practitioner back in the 80s, and I uh, took a lot of people through rebirthing, which is an experience in which you recall your the birth and events before birth and events very early in childhood, which are having an impact on how we live now. And I kept wondering, what was before that? What's the cause? What's the cause? And I, where I stand now is the cause, the basic cause is conception itself. Because I have memories of conception. And I have memories, so I have memories before conception, during conception, and after conception. So what I say happens is that period of conception, when spirit enters form, it creates a shock in spirit. And it and because we don't, we, we have difficulty keeping our, keep remaining conscious in that experience, this shock then enters deeply into our spirit. It comes with us throughout our life. And much or possibly all of what we're doing in life is trying to justify, trying to uh, express, trying to find resolution of that shock, which we don't know what happened. And I can talk about that. Um, a little bit later, hopefully. So you could say that the one way I can describe this is let's say you have a generating station. So I don't know, our electricity here primarily comes from a, a large generating station. So you could say the generating station represents your soul. Now, the, from the generating station, the electricity comes through overhead wires, and the, the voltage is what, a couple hundred thousand volts. Then it comes to a transfer station, a transformer station. And it's stepped down to a lower uh, um, current or voltage level. And it comes to another transformer before it enters your house. Once the electricity comes in your house, the electricity is operating everything. Over here, it's operating the computer. Mm -hmm. uh, to my left, it's operating the, the air conditioner. Overhead, it's operating the light. And the kitchen's operating the, the stove, which heats the food. Same electricity, according to the instrument that it enters, it generates all these functions okay so the electricity i'm talking about here is the energy of the soul or the spirit so the spirit enters their body and operates all the functions of the body including the mind emotions and the the, the various activities the body goes through so to think your soul is in your body is like thinking you have the generator station in your house if you bought the brought the generator station in your house First of all, you couldn't possibly bring it in the house like that. You can't possibly have the soul in your body. So you have the energy of the soul, which I'm calling spirit, coming into your body. Now, the, that stepping down, when it hits that transformer, which steps down the energy, that's a, that's a dissonance for the energy. So you're entering a lower vibration, a denser vibration from a higher vibration, and that's dissonance. And the feeling sense, the feeling, the effect, the feeling effect of that dissonance is kind of stuck in the soul, and it generates a resistance to incarnating. 
that resistance, I haven't quite come up with a name I really like for it, so I'll call it the shock of incarnation. And I believe that that we're, we're kind of almost forced, driven to find an interpretation or an expression of that. Um, and so if you understand that, then you can start to see why a religion like Christianity has appeal because Christian, the, the, the fundamental Christian comes along and says, oh, you were born in sin and you've got to get saved. And you're like, mm. that does it. I'll sign up for that one. Or the Buddhist comes along and says, oh, you're, you're born because you, you had some bad karma in the past. And some people, that's it. I'll sign up for that one. So you sign up for these explanations that somebody else from outside you gives you. And you run that. You go through that for a period of time, maybe a few lifetimes, until it sort of doesn't hold water anymore. And then you come to the stage of spiritual seeking. So you differentiate. You could say we differentiate religion from spiritual seeking because religion is about believing something you don't have an experience of. When you come to the edge of spiritual seeking, you're like, I don't want to believe anymore. I want experience. Yes. I, want to, I want to know experience. That's when you become a spiritual seeker. And that's when the journey home, you could say, that's when this inner explanation really starts to um, really starts to come into play. Now, when, you, when that happens, you're typically going to go through, you could say, some version of the dark night of the soul some some version of trying to integrate that energy so that that shock then sets up a primal resistance to life and that in my opinion is what the spiritual seeker at some point needs to integrate or overcome because so long as we're resisting life we're not able to fully give the gift that we have to give here because we're trying not to be fully engaged in life. That's where the part of embodiment comes in. Is this making, is this making sense? Oh, so I wish it all was because it's not, <laughs> but I'm trying to okay. just let it settle in, in you know. Okay. All right. Well, let, let me see if I can simplify because well, uh, obviously where I want to go with this is I'd like to leave our myself and our listeners with some like on the court tools, yeah. not just a theory. Yeah. So if okay. we can kind Good. of put, because I'm getting it, you know, because I definitely feel like, okay, I'm a spiritual seeker. I want experiences, you know, and, and yeah. um, but there are plenty of times where I, don't really want to be present to my life and what's going on and don't really want to embody everything that's in front of me so i can kind of get that really you know understanding and accepting it all there would be like an access way by doing that so i'm hanging on yeah you keep talking yeah that's 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 a really important part of what i what i feel like my job as a teacher is to do is to help people actually start to live so let me say something okay. about about uh, the mystery that we've kind of mytho- mytholo- mythologized called death. So I'd ask the question, how do you know you were born? How do I know I was born? How do you know you were born? Um, I trust my parents. I see baby pictures. <laughs> Okay, so what you're saying I came is, from nothing, and there I there no, I am. No, but look at what you're saying. Okay, almost everybody comes to the same conclusion. 
And the answer is what you're saying fundamentally, if you put all the answers together and, and, and took a common denominator, you're saying, I know I was born because somebody told me. Yes. I know I was born because somebody told me. And so I'm going to very make a very brief synopsis of how we take on that belief. When you meet a, a very small child, the first question people will ask is, how old are you? So if you right. pay attention, if you pay attention to what's happening there energetically, then what does the child want? The child wants safety, wants connection. Mm -hmm. So when you lean into the child and you say, "Oh, how old are you?" The child starts to feel safe, and what you are implying to the child's mind is, "You were born, sucker." So the child, the child sucker. Take, the child's yeah. You're funny, it's like, man. It's yeah. like it's well. There's a bitter medicine inside the pill. The pill is sugar-coated with the affection the child wants and the mm -hmm. safety the mm -hmm. child longs for. But inside that is this assertion you were born. So the child takes on the belief I was born. Now that becomes a very powerful belief structure. And then following that, at some point the child takes on the belief I'm going to die. Now you can kind of see how the mythology of death arises in the mind. Yes. Now why is that such a scary proposition? If you take that back to what I said about incarnation trauma, you can extrapolate and see that it's scary because incarnation was difficult and you have resistance to incarnation. So it's like this thing of dying must be take me back through that again somehow and I don't want to go there so we have a resistance of what we call dying and that's how the mythology came up I mean I'm giving a very a very brief explanation okay. um, so an important part of what what the, the process of maturing spiritually starts to look like is integrating that energy of resistance now, the way the resistance shows up, it shows up as emotion. The emotion of fear, the emotion of anger, the mm -hmm. emotion of sadness. Um, now, this, this part is different than grief. Um, I'm not going to go into grief too much. We just don't have time. But That's okay. Set, set aside grief. Fear, anger, and sadness are, are juicy. The, the emotions that, that um, take us over and cause us to be up at night, not able to sleep, mm -hmm. and the mind is running. So the emotion then is part of what I call a thought structure. So we have a thought structure or a belief that has information or a thought, and it has emotion, and it's anchored in the body. It's held in the body. It's not just a thought in the mind. It's actually anchored in four ways. It's anchored in the body. It's anchored in the chemistry. Uh, mostly brain chemistry and hormone chemistry. So the chemistry in the body is anchored energetically and it's anchored in the memory. So what happens when the emotion comes, the, the mind wants to kick in and justify our confirmation bias about why this person did me wrong and how I'm a victim. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the process of integrating that involves involves um, turning the default to the emotion itself instead of defaulting into the mind trying to figure it out which it never does because the mind will only go into the past or the future the mind doesn't want to be present with it it's part of the resistance so if we turn to the emotion and feel the emotion more 
intimately, let the emotion touch us more intimately, but not leave it at that. That's a stepping stone because that thought structure, which you made of emotion and information, is anchored in the body. It's held in the body. And until we address it in the body, that energy can lead to disease, illness, and even accidents. Okay. Because that thought structure is is um, it's made of survival energy. Now, survival energy is like a politician. It comes in with a promise to protect us. But once we accept it in our system, which we do innocently as children, once it gets in office, like any good politician, his prime objective from then on is to keep himself in office. So that survival energy, once it's anchored in the body, the thought anchored emotionally in the body, it's held in the body, wants to keep itself in place. So what I do as a teacher is to help people get inside that. See, it's very difficult to get inside it because it becomes a survival instinct. It becomes part of the survival instinct. See, if you touch something's hot, you pull your hand back and then you think, oh, that was hot. Mm-hmm. Now, is it possible to think faster than the pulling your hand back? No, because it's a survival instinct. Right. So it's, it, you can't, with the mind, you can't get in front of that. So you have to enter it through the emotion and then through tracking it in the body. And then you can start to discover the information. And once you find the information with the emotion, then you start to have an option. So what I do is to help people come to neutralize that energy to find out what you really need to survive. Can we do an on-the-court example of this when you're done explaining it, like if we're really I, I don't think we could go all the way through it but we can do we can just, touch on it some yeah just something that um, can give us a little access because i know i've had times of severe fear anger sadness and yeah, right. my mind tries to figure it out and then i try to think of what's in the refrigerator that i can eat that mm-hmm. i not yeah. thinking of this and then it goes on yeah. to being a victim and blaming as opposed to just sitting in it so i just yeah. be interested yeah, to know good. what yeah so keep talking if you would, my friend. So, so let's say, I don't know. Can you can you give me a specific example of sadness or of but, but but again, let's don't go into grief because that's a that's a different category. But more about like, let's say somebody says something about you and you get hurt. Can you give me an example in your case, if you don't mind? You don't have to be too personal. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of one. Oh, we, we uh, yeah. If somebody told me, I've been confronted that I'm I've done and said stuff that I haven't that I know that I haven't done, and it's people have chosen not to have a relationship with me because I okay. did X Y Z, which never even happened. So there's there's anger there, and okay. there's uh, yeah. Okay, now uh, other there's also a grief component of that. Okay, but let's just let's just deal with the emotional part of um, let's say that you have um now what i call these i call them survival codes okay and they're they're built into our system i believe over many lifetimes and they're necessary to be there in a certain way the real problem is the survival codes were designed for the body and the body knows how to act out survival codes appropriately 
and to go on about its business. But the survival codes then find their way into the conceptual idea we have about ourselves, which starts with the idea I was born. So we have this complex matrix of conceptual identity. Some people call it the ego. I call it the conceptual matrix of identity. Mm -hmm. But the survival codes have found their way into that conceptual identity. And the body is not, is not wired, it's not evolved to process that energy wisely so it remains stuck in our system. There's a story of a guy in the Bible, uh, his name was Daniel, who was a, a teacher and a prophet, and they got disgusted with him politically and put him in, the, in a, a, lion, a lion den. But the, oh, lion, no. the lions didn't bother with Daniel. I would say the reason is because Daniel had dissolved or integrated all his survival codes. So there was nothing in his body, uh, there was no fear codes in his body, which is the fear in your body which would trigger the lion to tell you that you're, you are predation. Mm -hmm. so, so in a way, the fact that you go into anger or sometimes even sadness means you have codes in your body that is informing the tigers of your life that you are, you are ready to be a victim to them. So the way that, and I'd have to be with someone and kind of walk through this with them, it, it becomes quite an intimate process, not mm -hmm. physically, I do most of my work online, but see that you have a story about it and let your mind go through the story, oh, she said this, she said my nose is too big and I'm mm -hmm. so upset about that, and then go to the emotion and let the emotion come a little closer. And this is probably the most difficult part because the mind wants to do everything it can to project the emotion outward and deal with circumstances in order to avoid the emotion. Right. So when we turn to the emotion, welcome it a little more. So let's say right now, see if you can let that emotion, which was it, anger? That's your primary emotion? Well, I don't know if that's my primary one, but in this case, I, I can feel myself getting angry. Okay. All right. So let the anger come. And just let the anger come. Welcome it a little more than you normally would. Not in any not in any format, but just anger. Let it come. You know what's funny? Alan is, I don't want to. See, here's the resistance exactly. right there. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't want that's, to. I don't want to do it, it on my show. I don't want people to listen to yeah, this. Yeah, that's the resistance. Yeah, yes. Hey, it, hey, uh, I want know, to do it in the I, privacy I, when I, nobody's still, here. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm human. I'm still, I'm still working on this material myself. But the step then is, okay. and that's why I say I kind of need to be with someone yeah, and in a, in a, in a right. very intimate setting so that they can feel safe. What we want to do is produce a sense of safety because the resistance yes. comes because we did not feel safe, mm -hmm. especially as children. The child doesn't feel safe. The, chi the child is looking. That's his primary need, I think, is to feel safe. And the parent doesn't know how to give the child safety because the parent is living in a conceptual paradigm and the child's living in a visceral paradigm. So when the child does not feel safe, that's where the child generates a, a self-sustaining way of at least attempting to feel safe. That's why I call it a survival code. And it becomes in, intrinsic to how we interpret life. So then when we feel that emotion a little deeper, 
feel it until it's, it has a certain clarity. It doesn't mean merging with it. It doesn't mean acting out and crying and screaming and kicking and all that. Uh-huh. It just means let it come a little more closely. And when it comes a little closer, you've welcomed it a little more. Then look into your body and see where do you have a sensation in your body. And just see right now, you may, it may or may not come, but see if you have a sensation in your body related to that anger. Well, I can remember being angry and just feeling like my in my chest area, like right exactly, yeah, and anger, yeah, yeah. So I can remember it, and I just remember shaking, and I just I do I just remember it right, yeah, in the middle of my chest. Yeah. So when you find that sensation, now you turn from the emotion. You just kind of say goodbye to the emotion, and all you do now is pay attention to the sensation in your body. Keep giving hmm. that sensation your attention. Now, you're really giving it two things. You're giving it energy and awareness. Because if you remember when I said that God is fundamentally energy and awareness, there's only two, these two fundamental things that everything in existence is constructed of is energy and awareness. Energy is the feminine side. Awareness is the masculine side. It's really one thing, but it is two components, we could say. Okay, I, I'm liking so, this. So, this okay. is new. So when you when you come to the physical sensation, you're just giving it energy and awareness, energy with your breath, awareness with your attention. Now this amounts to surrender. See, when I said before, your mind can never figure it out. Your mind can never get in front of the survival code. Yeah. Well, it's made of energy and awareness. So what you do, you give it more energy and awareness. Energy with your breath, awareness with your attention. This amounts to surrendering, let's just call it karma. That that thought structure that's held in your body, we could say is karma. So now you're surrendering that karma to God, to energy and awareness. And, and as as we can immediately touch it here, as we can immediately touch God as energy and awareness. Okay. Now, almost invariably what happens when you come to the body and just hold the sensation and with your attention, at some point that the feeling of safety will start to come to that energetic presence which did not feel safe. And it will start to move. It will start to shift. It may start to relax. It may move to a different part of the body. Now, once you come to this stage, the next the next step on the process is to begin to question that energy. Just begin to ask it questions. You could ask it, what are you trying to do for me? What would you like to show to me? What information do you have for me? This is a very, it's a very innocent step. Now, what's really important here is you listen with your imagination. You're not going into the left brain trying to figure it out. You're just waiting, kind of waiting, favoring the silence, waiting for information. Information may come immediately. It may not come immediately because this is a, this is a deeply vulnerable part of us. And when we, when we begin to tap into it, it may not reveal it. It may not want to reveal itself so easily. Mm. Now, the energy we're talking about is that like that feeling that I had in my chest. Yeah, that's, that's where you, you you track it from the thinking to the emotion. So I'm breathing. I'm giving. I'm surrendering it. I'm paying attention to it. 
Yeah, not thinking it. The, you don't have to use the word surrender. But what I'm saying basically, is that's movement. what happens. Yeah, yeah, it's a movement of surrender okay. because you're just giving it attention and then question it and then listen with my imagination. Well, you, but don't jump to the questioning part too quickly. You have to become Be very. You yeah. have to become intimate with it first. That so so what's happening there is you have a a, a thought or a, a bit of information that is held emotionally in the body. It's anchored emotionally in the body. So if you, let's say, if you have, um, the, the goal at some point would be to have this be your default so that when you start to get um, kind of, the, the emotion starts to, drag you down the path or drag you into the mind to learn to default to paying attention to the body rather than the mind. You can stay in the body. So if the emotion of anger is in your chest, now a lot of times anger will be in your gut. So if you come to the physical sensation, if nothing else, you are at least becoming present to present time rather than letting the mind drag you into the past or the future. So now you track it in your body. This can be very healing and very restorative energetically. So I had a pain at, at about my liver and been there most of my life. And no doctor could ever tell me why I had pain there. But as I went through this process, after a while, that sensation was just gone. It just, over a period of time, dissolved. Really? Now, had, had I not addressed it, that very well could have led to, let's say, liver cancer or something. I don't know, whatever. Some kind of some kind of uh, collapse of the energy system because it was it was stuck with it was it was holding this thought structure that amounted to. I, and I didn't even feel it as anger. I didn't know it as anger, but it was a, a component of fear. And I would say that all fear is anchored in this incarnational trauma the impact of incarnation the impact of spirit coming into form that's the anchor point so all fear is based not on the fear of dying in my opinion it's based on the fear of living so as we integrate this energy and release it we start to engage in life more fully and whatever purpose in in here is whether it's to become enlightened or to become um, a dog trainer then we'll be able to engage in life more fully because we're not resisting life. We're not holding back. We're not so afraid of life. I love the visual of being in the lion's den or with the tiger. And it can it can feel and sense that fear. And what would life yeah. be like to not have that fear yeah. present? I, it just, yeah. I would think there'd be a whole new way of living life or not being activated yeah. by whatever yeah. it is, anger, sadness. Now there there's there's further development of this process that I that I work with. So what we want to do, in my opinion, in my teaching, according to my map, is we want to get to a stage where we consciously construct the codes from which we live. So we fully consciously construct those codes rather than unconsciously construct survival codes or be organized and lived. We're actually lived by our survival codes unconsciously. 
And can we can we human beings construct our own codes? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Now let's say you're doing affirmations, and you've been mm-hmm. doing affirmations. You've done affirmations for a hundred years, and nothing happened. Right. Why isn't it? Why isn't it happening? Because the survival codes are still generating your life experience. You haven't got into the survival codes and neutralized them. Bring them to neutral, and that's part of the work is bring them to neutral. Now, once you have them in a neutral state, the next step is to implement the code with your word and with your emotion. See, it has to have these two components. It has to have a thought or um, an intention, and it has to have emotion. There's a a research project that the HeartMath people did with this, and the uh, people in the project would hold a vial of DNA and they would have a thought that so one of the control groups would hold the vial of DNA and think what the result they wanted, a positive thought. The results in the DNA, zero. Another group would hold the vial of DNA and have a positive emotion, and they're able to track the positive emotion with their instruments. See that the students were having positive emotion, holding the vial of DNA, the results, nothing. Then the third group had the thought and had the emotion as they held the DNA and they were actually able to unwind the DNA up to 25% by having both. So wow. this is this is the way in which I talk about rewriting our codes. Wow, and so much written whether it's manifestation or whatever, it's it it's thought and the emotion. Exactly. It has to have the the thought and the emotion together. So when you neutralize the code, the next step will be to find your positive emotion. The easiest access we have, in my opinion, to positive emotion is gratitude. Yes. Okay. Gratitude, if you had to boil all spiritual teaching, all religions in the world down to one word, I would say it's gratitude. Mm Mm-hmm. Gratitude is both the great spiritual practice and it's the definition of a spiritually awakened person. It lives in gratitude. Um, well, we can't go too much more into that. But then once you understand these, these survival codes and you come to gratitude, you actually feel gratitude for the codes because they've got us up till now. They've sur- helped us arrive at this point. So with the emotion and you write your intention into the code, it, it can make a very it can make a big difference in your life pretty quickly. And then from there I go on to help people activate that and there's another level of activation but i'm not going to go into that it's okay you've left us me in particular with just like the wow factor (laughs) because i know inside that i'm having a human experience that i'm a much bigger soul than just some cloud that's living inside my body i'm all for (laughs) being a a gigantic soul and and having this human experience but and it's great to believe in life after death but then it's like how do we have a a better quality of life a transformed reality and to you know because i'm taking lots of notes from this conversation because i deal with stress and fear and anger and sadness and all of that and so even though i wasn't able to dig up and experience right on the court for this um but i can just see how in the future when something comes up how fast i am to either make it wrong or make somebody else wrong as opposed to just sitting with it and being with it and just by nature of turning my attention 
into the body and not my mind. I can just get yeah. that there's going to yeah. there's something new available. That alone, that alone is worth the conversation. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It is. It's such a profound thing, and I believe if you had the right support and developed this enough, you could eliminate. I don't know what percentage. I'm going to guess 60, 70 percent of all your ailments, diseases, sicknesses, mm-hmm. blah blah blah, simply by paying attention to your body, paying attention to your body, not judging it, not trying to figure it out, but purely paying attention. Attention is a very powerful thing. Wow, terrific! So we're 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 kind of over time. Get uh, we are. Uh, one thing, I'll, one <laughs> sure. thing I'll, uh, that I feel is really important. I'd like okay. to communicate is if you and and I'm not saying anybody should be a spiritual seeker, but if you're at that point where you have a deep spiritual curiosity, the entry point I would say the entry point to to anything in life, but I'm talking about spiritually is your intention. Intention is king. That's your prime. Your primary, your your the king on the chessboard of your life is your intention. Okay. So I would say, be conscious to clarify your intention. So you enter the spiritual world. It's like, okay, what do you want? It's like when you come into the to, into the presence of God. There's this kind of classic conversation where God says, "What do you want?" So know your intention, purify it and clarify it. And when you when you're clear about what your intention is. Up the ante. Take it to uh, take it a notch higher or two notches higher, to the point where it frightens you, and everything in you says, oh, "I could never do that." And if you have passion for it, that's your intention. Then once you have your intention, never back down. You can always clarify it later. You can always um, nuance it later. But see, in my entire life, I've had this single-minded intention throughout my life, which was originally to get out of this world back to my original home. Mm-hmm. Now it's a lot. It's it's nuanced over the years, but it has carried me through so much of my life, and has helped me to organize my experience. So, intention is primary. Intention is your GPS. When you get in your car and you're going to go to um, Berkeley, California, you put in your GPS. I'm going to Telegraph Avenue, Berkeley, California, and what what the next thing happens is, what do you do with the GPS? You learn to pay attention to the GPS. Right. You learn the voice of the GPS. So once you plug your intention into the cosmic mind, the universe says, okay, he wants, to, he wants to have spiritual mastery. He wants to be enlightened. He wants to be awakened, whatever. He wants to know truth. He wants to see God. Whatever has juice for you. So the universe is going to respond. Your GPS is going to function. All we have to do is learn to pay attention to it. So the first thing is clarify intention. Second step is learn to pay attention. Learn to detect that that signal, that guidance. And it will often come in many different forms. For me, it come, could come in the form of a, uh, a YouTube video. It could come in the form of a bird singing outside. It can come in the form of an inner impulse. But pay attention to that. Now, once you get the signal, then pay more attention to it. Go into the nuances of it. So then the third step is, is, is basically up to you, but it's about developing confidence. It's about developing certainty. Wow, these are great words because even one of the things we talk about a lot on this show is getting signs from our loved ones. Yeah. And having that intention, (laughs) and and that's something we talk about all the time, and then paying attention. And and it's amazing 
once we put that out there, what comes back in? I get emails all the time about, you know, people, this and this and this are starting to show up and they're paying more and more attention as opposed to being busy in their mind and, you know, playing the victim and it'll never happen to me. And, you know, if you start really believing, like my dad always said, whether you, what, what's the saying? If you believe you can or you can't, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Something That's like great. that. Yeah. 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 Oh, Alan, thank you so much. And just a little bit about you now. You uh, are a teacher. You have the website, Nothing Other. Where did you get that name from, by the way? Nothingother.com. Yeah. Well, um, my my master came to me and uh, said to me, there is nothing other than God revealing himself to himself and i would meditate on that morning and night Mm -hmm. for a number of years until that became my truth that became my reality that's clarifying your intention for that as well right yeah yeah and so anything i experience now every moment of my life it's not as black and white as i'm going to make it sound obviously because i'm very human also Mm -hmm. sure but no matter what I'm seeing, I know that who is seeing at the deepest level is God. The process of seeing is God. And what's being seen is God. And the end result is that God is becoming conscious of himself, herself. Hmm. Good and deep. And what is what does Trillium Awakening mean? You're Trillium a Trillium Awakening, awakening is, teacher. Yeah, Trillium Awakening is a collection of teachers who do work. Um, similar to what I do. Um, my language and my concepts are, I would say, a little different than most, um, but there's a sufficient overlap. A lot of what we talked about today is not in the, it's not in the teaching of Trillium. Some of it is. Okay. But it's a good entry point because I was on your website and then I found the website, Alan and gina.com and who is gina yeah gina is my mate and partner that's what i thought uh, beautiful she's lady. also she's great she's also a very profound teacher in many ways better teacher than i am um she works a lot with what's called human design and with a process called somatic experiencing somatic experiencing is a is a great uh, tool in teaching to help people with trauma okay wonderful that's gr- yeah. I mean, it's these. Th- it's interesting because I've had guests on that I can just listen to and be captivated by their stories. But I actually felt oh. like this conversation was a, a mental workout, to <laughs> in a good way though, uh, because it's stretching yeah. what I know. It's making me question, making me think. It's yeah. it's. It, it, I don't. I didn't even know how to say it. it. It's like waking up parts of my mind that haven't been used for a while even thinking of you know clarifying intention and paying attention and and the positive emotion of gratitude i i know on the court what what that does and so that was a great reminder and thought plus emotion and and like many of us we deal with some negative emotions and not in a million years have i ever tried to pay attention to what's happening in my body you know i've tried to talk myself out of it uh and that never worked Works. It never works. Yeah, so there's so much. There's just 
enormous amount of information available by paying attention to your body. Yeah, I really uh, thank you. I thank you for me. I thank you for uh, those listening right now that are thinking like I do, like, wow, I've not tried that. And there's something else available. And obviously, mm-hmm. you and I both want to give people, including ourselves, the best life imaginable. And you've really given us a lot to think about, but also some mm-hmm. things that we can use in our lives and I'm excited to find out more and you do welcome people writing to you and taking sure. new clients and things like that we can find sure. out more on your yeah. website sure yeah yeah the email is alan a-l-l-a-n at nothingother.com okay great wonderful um, I thank you I don't know what else to say just I know tonight okay. I'll go to bed thinking about this conversation okay well I, I hope I've been uh Hope I've given some inspiration and knowledge to the listeners. It's it's been an honor. Yeah, I wish I could see each listener personally. And oh, let you, let you know how much I respect you and care for you and honor the process, whatever you're going through. You know, I'll say it this way: whatever painful situations and difficulties you have in this life, you total it all up. Every pain, every sorrow, every misery, every addiction, every conflict, every heartbreak, total it all up. It's a lottery ticket. It's a $1 lottery ticket, and everybody will win this lottery. Everybody. God will not let anyone fail. Oh, thank you for that. So no matter what we've been through, it'll all add up to something. Yes, everybody, everybody will find their way home. Oh, that's beautiful. It's a matter of do you, do you want to do it quickly or do you want to do it slowly? God is infinitely patient. Yeah, and it's never too late to start, right? If you're 90 years old listening to this conversation, dive age, right in. Age, age almost has nothing to do with it. No. No. All good. It's a, it's a matter of sincerity and interest. Sincerity and interest. Well, Alan Morlock, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you, Sandra. It's been a privilege and an honor. Oh, ditto. And for our listener, thank you for taking the time. I don't know how you feel, but for me, like I said, a little mental workout and challenging my thoughts. And it's been good. I, I feel like it's been like a good good exercise and really thinking about what my beliefs are. And I'm really up for all of us to have a great life. I truly am. And I'm yeah, yeah. yeah grateful for this conversation so much. It's, and it's coming. You know, the world is going through a major shift. Sure it is. We're, we're coming to a, a new and profound, wonderful reality. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. But, but being along for the ride, it is about the journey, not the destination, as they say. Yeah. But I yeah. want to invite anyone to go to our home base, which is wedontdieradio.com. You'll find 200 episodes now of this show, uh, as well as you can click on the Insiders Club. And when you do, there's a free copy of my book, if you'd like to read it, We Don't Die. Um, all the different things that I've learned, why I believe life after death why i know life after death is a reality as well as a very healing audio if you are experiencing grief and it's called how to survive grief and also a little shout out to 
my Facebook group. Anybody who's on Facebook, you're welcome to join. Just type in We Don't Die Listeners, and it's a private community of people who are interested in what we talk about on the show. So you have some friends, you will be at home in it. Uh, I'd also love to meet you at the symposium September 2017 or anytime in the future. Just go to afterlifestudies.org. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I've been delighted to be your host on yet another great episode of We Don't Die Radio. And I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So remember, gratitude, if we're left with nothing else, take some time, even right now, to think of some things that you're grateful for and really let that feeling soak into your soul. And uh, it's a a good first step. And I want to thank you for listening. And we'll see you soon.